let's go ahead and um, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, and then we're going to be looking to the book of Philippians and chapter four. Heavenly Father, as we we come together in your presence again, um, as we've sung and we've worshipped together, uh, Lord, as we've lifted up uh, your name and your praise, uh, we pray that you would now take our hearts and our minds, turn us uh, to your your word, your scriptures. Uh, may we see and know all that you have for us um, in, in these words, um, in what Paul says to the Philippians and what your Holy Spirit says to the church through him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Philippians chapter 4 <clears throat> this morning. Like I said, we're, we're getting to the end. <clears throat> I do have a cough. It's not COVID. Don't worry. It's actually, it's actually um, grass from mowing um, the last couple of days. I seem to have developed in my old... Anybody notice... This has nothing to do with the sermon. Have you noticed that as you get older, you get defective? I, I had no allergies until I hit about 42. I mean, I wasn't allergic to anything. I mean, and I, and I, I mean, when I mean no allergies, I'm not allergic to poison ivy, poison oak, any of those things. I don't get them. I can grab them with my bare hand, wrap them around my arm. I, I, I not, you know, bees and wasps. I was stung like, like a million times. Doesn't bother me. But suddenly, I've developed this thing where if I mow the lawn, I can't breathe for three days. And I'm not sure what it is. Maybe it's the chunks of moths that I've mowed up. Maybe I'm allergic to them. I don't know what it is. But, but it's, it's one of those things. It's like as you get older, you're like, things used to work, and now they don't. And things that you never thought about. I think I'm developing lactose intolerance, which is going to be a nightmare for me. I don't understand. I'm like, man, Italians can't live without cheese. Anyway, um, so Philippians chapter 4, that had nothing to do with the sermon, um, but uh, just so it was clear in my throat. Philippians chapter 4, and let's, let's take a look. We're going to look at verse 10. Um, we're going to start right there. Paul is winding down, and he's talking to this church that's been so generous to him over the years. And he says this, I say, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hungry, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift. But I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever. Amen. Um, and that should be the end of the, the letter, but Paul can never just end a letter. He always has a postscript afterwards. He always adds a little bit more, and we're going we're gonna to deal with that next week. But um, Paul talks about a shocking truth 
that ministry costs money. Um, now this is this is sometimes um, astounding when we realize that it cost money then, just like it costs money now. Now I'm preaching to the choir on that. Uh, our congregation has always been beyond generous in their stewardship uh, of their resources and their funds. Um, and during this during this crisis, I mean, you guys have just been absolutely unbelievable in your adaptation to using the online giving and, and putting the money in the baskets and or in the in the the box and all those things that have been going on and paying for the bills and I mean at the annual meeting you guys you guys were just so incredibly generous in providing resources and the budget and taking care of my family and I and so so to I'm preaching to the choir on that but it does it does surprise a lot of people that ministry costs money that that a, a life like Paul's required funding he he couldn't just live on air, you know. It, it got it, now. It would be great. I, I got to be honest. It would be great if, as ministers of the gospel, we were given the gift of feeding the five thousand primarily for ourselves. Um, you know, now I have friends that are in the ministry that have like you know, ten, twelve kids, and they really need that gift. But um, but the reality is, God has entrusted the church with caring for the stewardship, caring for the ministry and the minister. And Paul um, was being cared for by these churches. Now, for some reason, Philippi was not able to um, take care of him the way they would have liked to um, uh, at the beginning. They, they would have liked to have been able to take care of him. Um, but he, Paul talks about how um, that your, your concern for me has been revived in verse 10. He says, I know you were concerned, but you had no opportunity. They didn't know what he needed. Maybe they couldn't provide for it. Who knows what was going on? Um, but... Um, but what's happening with the video? I see guys scrambling with the video. Is it working? Oh, that's the it's the gain on the do do uh, sorry technical thing for a second. So on the on the on the encoder thing, go to the audio tab and lower the gain, the digital gain. It's probably at 15. Just bring it down to like five. See what that happens. You got it. Um, so, uh, growing pains. So anyway, so he's he's providing for people um, and he's taking care of them. They're they're, ta- they're taking care of him when they have opportunity. They send this gift to him. Now we don't know what they sent him. We don't know how much they sent him. Uh, we don't know how they provided for him. We do know there are stories about some of the churches um, doing extraordinary things. There's a there's a an old legend and we don't know whether it's true about the church of Galatia. Um, that Paul, uh, Paul asked them to bring an offering to Jerusalem. Um, and so the Galatians were, uh, were descendants of Celts, and they were concerned about bringing the offering to Jerusalem and being robbed on the way, so they sewed the gold inside their robes, um, and they carried it the whole way, which is quite a walk, um, in their clothes, so that when they got to Jerusalem, they opened it up and, and were able to give it. It's a, it's a story. We don't know whether that's really true. But we do know that there was tremendous generosity in the early church, especially toward those like Paul. Um, and so he, he talks about this concern. He talks about all of it. But, but primarily he's talking about it to bring us to this statement where he, he begins talking about in verse 11. He says, I know, I know how to be content. He says, I know how to trust God in whatever is going on. I, I know that whatever I have is enough for the moment. Um, and so I've lived in uh, lows and highs. I've abounded. I've had plenty. I've had hunger. I've had abundance. And I've had need. Now keep in mind that Paul is 
um, not an ancient person at this point. He's probably, uh, you know, probably in his 50s maybe. Um, he, so, so he's, but he's led a rough life. I mean, Paul has had a hard time of things, and he's imprisoned in Rome right now. Um, and he's, he's going through and he's saying, look, I says, I've learned to be content. Now, there's a, there's a fine line that has to be drawn, I think, in ministry, um, and I think we see it crossed quite often in the Christianity at large, particularly among those that broadcast their ministries and have those kind of things. There's a line between need and greed. I mean, we have to be cautious about where that line is. Um, and now, I, I, I grew up, I grew up in a, in a, in a, a lower middle class family. Let's, let's call it that. Um, my, my, most of my clothes were hand-me-downs. We bought food that was on sale. That's what we ate. Um, you know, we very rarely had new clothes. We were one of those families that only got new clothes twice a year. Um, on your birthday and Christmas, um, and so and that was so you made your shoes work, you you survived. We we did not have a lot of money when I was growing up. Um, when we when we moved to Massachusetts and my dad took a new church in 1992, I was I was 15 and he took this new church and first of all they were they were paying him some lordly sum. I think it was like $400 a week or something. Um, and it was like, oh my gosh, this is so much money. We don't know what we're going to do. Um, and we had a house that wasn't a converted Sunday school wing of the church building. We didn't know what to do. Um, and and the, the sanctuary was seated like 100 people. We didn't know what to do. Um, and, and you know, we were older, and so my sister was off working, and so she was she had providing for herself, and, and my mom was able to get a job off-site. I mean, we just we didn't know what to do. But we had... Um, friends, we had ministry friends, local pastor friends, who um, we would we would show up at an event um, in our beat up uh, diesel uh, rabbit, Volkswagen rabbit. Um, and now the rabbit was red. Uh, one door was gold um, because my dad had replaced it and didn't want to paint it. Um, and that was the nicer of the two cars. Um, and, uh, and we would show up stacked in. Now, we were always stacked in because this was the day before anybody cared about seatbelts or child safety. So, so um, and my dad at one time owned a Volkswagen Beetle, and if you know anything about the Beetle, there were only two seats in the back, um, but he had three kids. So um, my dad would sit in the front, my mom would sit in the passenger side, my sister and I, Kate and I, would sit in the chair seats, and my little sister, Kristen, would sit on the little shelf above the engine um, you know, I mean, this was the, so we would show, but we would show up at these events, and my dad's friends would get out of their cars, and they would be wearing suits with French cuffs, getting out of their Cadillac, and walking in, you know, like you know they had they just been uh, freshly minted as stockbrokers, and and they sat in they sat in offices covered in mahogany desks and these big, huge, luxurious chairs. My dad made bookshelves. I, I'm not making this up. You could call him and ask him. He made bookshelves by stacking bricks and putting boards across them to hold his books up. This, this is where we, were, we didn't want to spend money on expensive furniture and those things. We didn't own a lot of books. That's why we had a world book encyclopedia, and I read it twice, because that was what we had. That was how we grew up. But then we'd see these guys... These churches of, you know, smaller than Bedford Road, and these guys dressed to the hilt, 
and their wives wearing, you know, more makeup than it would take to paint a barn, and and they, and they, you know, and and they would they would just they would just, I'm gonna get myself in trouble for that one, um, but they would they would. They would show up and they would walk in and they'd be wearing their big, huge rings and all of their stuff and their expensive Rolex watches and their shiny shoes. And, and I remember looking at my dad um, wearing a, a, a suit that he had bought off the discount rack and had my mom sew the pants of it, um, you know, wearing shirts that the sleeves were too long because, because they, were, they were on discount because they were regular, standing next to those guys. And, and to be perfectly honest... It wasn't because he didn't have money, but I had more respect for my dad than I did for all that flashy stuff. Because when my dad walked into a room, those guys might be able to preach a good sermon, but my dad preached the Bible. And I would, I would walk away going, you know what? He's weird, and we're never going to be rich, but that's my dad. And he was more concerned with what the church needed than what he could have gotten. And that was, that was extraordinary to me. Growing up, although my dad and I have a lot of disagreements about a lot of things, my dad has always been more committed to what he believes the church needs than what he could acquire. Uh, my dad could have made a lot of money doing a lot of things, but he chose to live basically at poverty level for his entire life. To minister. Now, I'm not saying that that's what it takes to be a minister. I'm not saying that, that you guys can vote for that. I'm okay with the way that you take care of me. Um, but, what I, but what I'm saying is there's a line between need and greed. Now, it's not my job to sit there and judge and say this person is greedy and that person is needy and all those things. But what I'm saying is we have to have the discernment to know the difference between those two. Uh, we, we at Bedford Road, we live by a very specific creed. We don't spend money we don't have. I know this is an extraordinary statement. But you know what? If we sat on half a million dollars worth of debt when we hit COVID-19, and you guys weren't going to be able to be here, and, and what would the stress have been like to know whether we were going to be able to make the mortgage payment, we're going to be able to sit the thing, and all that stuff. And we've been privileged to not have to do any of those things. You guys have been extraordinary in meeting the needs of the church. And the elders are exceptionally good at identifying what we need to do and and making sure that we take the time to discern. And Paul looks at them and he says, "I I know the difference between what I need and what I maybe want or want to consume or greedy. And he says, you know what? He says, so I've learned the secret, verse 12. What's the secret? And he says, the secret is I can get through it all. Now, when we read this verse, all right, so many people take this verse out of context. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And they go, that means the Bible says I can do anything. That is not what Paul said. What Paul said is I can get through any situation... I can do anything that's asked of me because the Lord strengthens me. Not that I can just pick a list of things that I want to do and say I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I want to play fullback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I can't do that, no matter whether Christ strengthens me or not. Maybe a little HGH strengthening me, but not that. Even then, I'm too small. All right? Um, 
you know, we, we can say, I can do all things. That's not what this scripture says. The scripture does not say that you can just name something and claim it in the name of Christ. That is not what it says. What it says, what Paul said is, no matter where I am, whether you're taking care of me or not, whether I have enough or I don't, whether I have plenty or I'm in hunger, whether I'm high or I'm low, it doesn't matter because I'm, I'm going to rely on Christ and I'm going to endure. I can do all these things that are in front of me. I will continue to do what God has called me to do regardless of the situation. But it was kind, he says in verse 14, it was kind of you. It was generous of you to share my trouble. They sent him a gift. And so Paul thanks them. He says, but it was kind of you to recognize that there was a need and meet that need. It was Christ-like of you to see that need. He says, I was content. I was content to deal with whatever came along. I, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I, I would have made it through. But you, you saw a need and you met that need. And he thanks them for that. I think sometimes we, we take for granted that our needs should be met. And we gripe when they're not met rather than thanking uh, God and the people who meet them when they are met. We say, well, I should be provided for. I mean, aren't I entitled to? Shouldn't I get? You know, going back to my dad, you know, and looking at him and wondering whether... Now, he tells me he never felt this. Um, I'm not sure whether I believe him, but... Uh, but he, but he, you know, I asked him, I said, didn't you, weren't you ever envious of those guys who had, were able to build the big churches? To which he would reply, no, because I don't like people. Um, weren't you, you know, didn't you, don't, didn't you wish that you had a staff to support you and take care of you? To which he would respond, no, no one ever does it right. Um, and, and we would go through these questions, but Dad, didn't you wish that you could provide for us and all those things? And, and at that one point, I'll never forget the day, um, it was not too long ago, my dad called me to tell me that he had paid for a life insurance policy, and with tears in his eyes, as he talked to me, with his voice cracking, he said, so you and your sisters will not have to pay for my funeral. That was what he was concerned about. That's what he's got a life insurance policy. To which I replied, well, we were planning to put you in a refrigerator box and just roll you off a cliff. <laughs> because my dad and I have a unique relationship. Um, but we were, he was, it's kind of you to take care of us. And, and, and to live, you know, you, you can look at everybody that has everything, or you can, you can see what God has given you and trust in his strengthening and provision. Now let me just say this, and, and we've thrown this out there, but trusting in his strength and, and provision also means relying upon the resources he puts in your life to help you manage what you have. Paul relied on people like Luke who took care of his physical health. He relied on people like Timothy who went around fixing all the things that Paul caused with his caustic personality. Um, Paul relied on the resources that the Holy Spirit brought into the church to help take care of him. That wasn't necessarily providing money for him as much as it was ministry to him. And, and advice and direction and counsel um, along the way. 
So it wasn't that Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me, and that gives me a reason to not ever ask for help, to not ever uh, stand in the need of direction, assistance, or provision. But rather, it gives me strength that when I recognize that need and I seek God's provision, if provision doesn't come, then He's provided what I need and I just move forward. He, says, he talks about them helping him in Macedonia. I'm not going to get into that. He talks about Thessalonica. You can read that. But, but then in verse 17 he says this, and this is a key line. He says, not that I seek a gift. I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. He says, I'm not interested in whether you take care of me. I'm interested in whether you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit to know when to take care of a need. He says, I'm more interested in your fruit. I'm more interested in seeing whether you as a church are sensitive enough to needs and, and, and the work of the Holy Spirit and the leading and the guiding. I'm more sensitive to that than I am to asking you for things. One of the things that people notice about Bedford Road um, almost immediately is that we do almost no special offerings. It is very rare for us to say we have this need, we need to meet this need, we're going to take a special offering. Now some of that is a personal thing. Um, it always made me uncomfortable when I was in a church service and there was a second offering. As a kid, all right. now first of all it was great because my dad called them retiring offerings, which made me think completely different things about missionaries. Um, he'd be like, all right, there'll be a retiring offering in the back. I'm like, the guy looks like he's only 25, what's he doing retiring? And it, retiring apparently means, retiring offering means as you retire from the room, you're supposed to drop money in the basket. Um, I didn't know that. I was like eight. So, but anyway, the, the uh, you know, we do very few special offerings because we try to, you know, I know this is a wild and revolutionary concept, but we, we try to budget for the things we're going to spend money on. So we don't have to then suddenly go, hey, I need more money. I mean, isn't it annoying when somebody's constantly asking you for money? I don't know. It drives me nuts. Um, so, I'm, and I have to say, in my household, no one ever asks me for money. My wife just takes it, and no, no, she does not. She does not. Um, we, you know, but but I I love that our congregation takes the time every year to write a budget, decide. This is what we're going to give to our missionaries. This is what we're going to spend on our ministries. And then if there's a greater need, we always rise up to meet it without having to make some kind of big hoopla about it. It's, it's always been extraordinary. It's been a wonderful thing. And I think it's tied to what Paul is talking about, this fruit that increases to your credit. I can't tell you as the elders how often we've heard of a need that, that somebody needed in the church and the congregation just rose to meet that need without any like demands or things or anything like that, just saying, hey, here's this need. Uh, if you feel led to help out along the course of this thing, go ahead and do that. And they've just always been able to do that. And then Paul, he talks about how I think the qualification of what these gifts really are. In fact, Paul expresses true gratitude. And so I want to talk just for a minute over the two categories, the two identifiers of Paul's gratitude. The first is um, the point that I just made about meeting the needs, the inverse of that. Paul, Paul did not view the gifts of the Philippians as a condition of his relationship with them. 
This is the beginning of gratitude. I think Paul understood a, a lesson. He said, I'm content in whatever, whatever God provides for me. I, 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 the Lord will strengthen me through any situation. So I don't need to walk around and say, I'm going to have a special relationship with the people that give me money, that take care of me, that provide for me. They have a special relationship. Um, one of the curious things, and I know I keep bringing my dad up, but I learned so much about finance from my dad um, as, a, as a pastor, and so um, it, it kind of identifies, I think, with this. One of the things my dad refused to do was to allow anyone to give any of us anything in the church. Um, now, some might say that was pride, that he was sitting there going, no. Uh, but he discovered very early on when he was uh, in ministry before he became a pastor that people could um, have, uh, what's the best word I can use for this, ulterior motives to their generosity. They would, they would you know, oh, well, let me take your wife, you and your wife and your three kids out to a nice meal so that we can, so we can just enjoy fellowship together. And then over dessert, they would say, well, you know, pastor, I don't really like the way that you stomp and snort in the sermons. And you mentioned hell way too much. If you could kind of scale that back, you know, I think we could see our way free to have more meals like this. He dealt with this, by the way, with people very, very close to him who said, I'm financially providing for this church. You should do things this way because I am giving this money. And I, I watched my dad in uh, uh, someone almost go to literally engage in fisticuffs because my father said, once you put that money in the offering basket, it's the Lord's, not yours. You don't get a call. And, and the person just went ballistic. All right, that, that he would dare to have the audacity to say that he couldn't determine. And now, listen, does the local church have the ability to determine where the funds are, are put in the stewardship of the church? Absolutely. That's why we budget. That's why we, that's why we plan. But for somebody to say that they personally have influence over what the church does, my dad just decided, I just won't take generosity from anybody. He just he would not accept it. It's tough for my dad to let me pay for a meal at, Bar at Burger King. Like I have to like, like hold his arm down and reach out with the credit card. He's like, he doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want to, and, and you have to understand, just so you know, my dad pastors a church of about 10 people. All right? it, the, the, he, he's, he, he, he still lives at that kind of that poverty level kind of thing, a very lower level um, middle class environment. But the reason that he made that decision was he just didn't want he didn't want relationships based on gifts. That that somebody would come to him and say, "Well, here, this is this is for you." So now I'm your favorite. Now now I now you know, and he didn't want people trying to earn his favor. First of all, cuz if you've met my dad, there's no way to earn his favor. Um, he either likes you or he doesn't and he never changes his mind. Um, but but uh, you know but this there there was this this idea that people were trying to get on his good side trying to get, and and he just wouldn't take it and I think I have a little bit of that I'd like to think that I, I'm not quite as as rigid as as he is that I've learned to to strike a different balance um, but there is this sense that people tend to have that if they give you a gift there's a, re a requirement and one of the reasons that's one of the reasons by the way when you you make a donation to the neighbors fund um, we never tell people who we're helping with the neighbors fund. Because think about the temptation 
If you drop a lot of money in the neighbor's fund and we help somebody out and they don't do what you think they should do with the money that you dropped in the neighbor's fund, the temptation to sit there and go, oh, that, oh, oh my goodness. And so by having that double blind of we give to the neighbor's fund out of the generosity and stewardship of our heart and the elders providing according to the needs of the people in this church rather than, rather than it being just a conduit for people, it liberates us, it allows us to have relationships without the conditions of the gift, the conditions of the requirements. So there's a lot of stuff mixed into this sermon, but anyway, I want to get to the, the, the second thing about his gratitude. In verse 18, he viewed any gift as an offering to God. He viewed any gift as an offering to God. Not that giving to Paul was, if you gave it to Paul, it was a gift to God because of who Paul was, but rather a contribution to the work of the gospel. Paul was simply the recipient of the grace of God in that gift. And gratitude, Paul's gratitude flows out of this idea that um, gifts are not a condition of relationship. So I can have a relationship with somebody who gives me nothing. In fact, I think that's kind of the definition of hesed, that he who has everything uh, gives, uh, uh, I have nothing, he gives everything to me. He owes me nothing but gives me everything. And then Paul concludes with this simple note. He says... God will supply every need of yours. Now in verse 13, he said, I am content. Whatsoever situation I'm in, right? He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I, I can handle whatever. He says, but I also believe that God will provide for your needs. Why? Because they gave gifts? or because of the heart that motivated the gifts. Because remember, he says earlier in the chapter, I know you wanted to give for me, but you couldn't. See, they had a giving heart even when they didn't have a gift to give. And when opportunity arose, I don't think there was any doubt in the Philippians. They said, we've got, a, we've got some stuff, we're going to give that to Paul. We're going to take care of him. That was their, their thing. God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. If you read 13 and 19 together, and I would challenge you to take those two verses and put them in parallel and see how Paul talks about provision in those two verses, you will find that ultimately what Paul says about our needs, what he talks about about our needs and God's provision points us toward, a, I think, a very generous view of our own needs. Now that sounds very paradoxical. A very generous view of our own needs. Um, because we often have a very... Uh, we often have a very stingy view of our own needs. And by that I mean our attitude toward our needs is that they are the needs that need to be met right this minute. What I need is what needs to be done. 
But Paul has a very generous view of his own needs. So he is willing to expand his generosity beyond the needs that he, he has. He's willing to say, God will provide for me, and God will provide for you, because ultimately it's all his. So he's content whether the Philippians give him a gift or not. He still loves them. He's still devoted to them. He's still going to care for them. He's still going to teach them. It doesn't matter. There's no condition to his gratitude. They don't have to give a gift in order to have a relationship with him. And they don't have to take care of him specifically in order for their offerings to be a gift of God. A gift to God. Because remember, going back to what I said at the beginning, the the line between need and greed. A need says, here is something that needs to be provided for and seeks the provision, but is content if it is not provided. Greed says... Here is something that needs to be provided for. And you need to provide it. You need to do it. You need to take care of it for me. Because it's my need. Because it's my want. And so my need, my want is dominant rather than God's provision. My wants are dominant rather than in God's provision. He says, isn't it ultimately, and, and how telling is it is, is it that he says this at the end, according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Because ultimately Paul is always going to bring us back to Jesus. He says, so if God provides and meets your needs, that's the riches in Christ Jesus. If God doesn't meet what you think is a need, that's still the riches in Christ Jesus. What an extraordinary attitude to have. Now let me remind you, it took Paul like 30 years to develop this attitude. This is not an instantaneous thing. Paul was not always like this. It is something he grew into as he matured in Christ. So you can't sit there and go, man, I've identified my problem and I'm going to fix it right now, immediately. It will never happen again. That's like me and my relationship to Snickers bars. I can, I can say all I want. I'm never going to eat another Snickers bar ever again. It's never going to happen. I've decided. I've drawn a line. No more Snickers bars. But you know that Snickers bar is going to call to me from that grocery store line. It's going to say to me, Snickers bar. You know that my wife and daughter are going to go to the store and come back with a rack of Snickers bars because they love me. They brought me six Snickers bars this week. I ate every single one of them. All right. In one sitting, while I was cooking dinner, I'm willing to admit I have a problem. Um, So, in fact, I had to leave the wrapper in the closet, make it look like they lasted a couple days, but they were gone. God will supply every need of yours 
See, what we, what we tend to think of as, as a need may not be a need, and what we don't know as a need could be a need. And God will supply, according to the riches of His, glo- of, uh, according to his riches um, in glory in Christ Jesus, He will supply. And so we need to learn to be content. We need to be, learn to endure. It's something we develop. It takes time. It's not an instantaneous thing, but it's an objective we can work toward as followers of Christ. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, you provide for us as only you can. You have provided for us um, spouses and children and parents and friends, funds and jobs and uh, vehicles and buildings and houses, all of which have pluses and minuses in our minds. And yet you have provided them, and so they are out of the richness of your glory in Christ Jesus. And we we ask to develop in our hearts true gratitude, true contentment, that we will not simply suffer through waiting for the next time that you provide, living a spiritual paycheck to spiritual paycheck, but rather, uh, Lord, that you, we would be content and we would journey and we would be generous in our need recognizing that you are truly sovereign, you are providing, you are caring. Lord, help us to take advantage of the relationships you've entrusted to us that are not conditional upon gifts, um, but those relationships that are meant to encourage and strengthen us as we go through times of need. Lord, help us to be open and honest about our needs, um, about our, our, our requests and our necessities. Lord, so that we, we can... Uh, care for one another. We can be generous for one another as opportunity arises. Lord, for your glory and praise and honor, we pray through your Spirit who gives us life, direction, and wisdom. To you, our Father, we pray. Through Jesus Christ. Amen. My brothers and sisters, go in peace.